Good morning. My name's Chris, and uh, I'm going to be with you for the next 40 minutes, and I'm so excited that you're here. Last week, we started a new series called Stained. And last week, one of the big things that we talked about is all of us have made mistakes. All of us have done some things. Uh, actually, some of us, we've actually even had some people do some things to us that's caused us to become stained. Uh, the Bible calls that sin. And uh, I, we spoke for about 30 minutes last week talking about that, you know, all of us know that we're jacked up, all of us know that we're screwed up, all of us know that we have a past. I, that None of us need to be convinced of that. I don't need to be convinced of that, you don't either, because um, you're all messed up. Um, all of us, um, and here's the thing we talked about last week, is all of us, we try different things to be able to remove our stains. Some people try religion, and they think if they just get more religious, then it will take care of all the mess in their lives. Some people try the Ten Commandments, that if they can just follow those ten big ones, you know, don't murder, you know, don't commit adultery, uh, you know, all those don't, 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 don'ts, that if we were able to follow that, then that could be able to remove the stains of our lives. Other people, they try church. In fact, some of you, you may be here today because you're thinking, you know what, I bet you if I go to church, I'm going to start feeling better about myself, and that's going to start removing those stains. Other people just try determination and self-will and self-help. They think, you know what, if I just tried harder, and if I, just, if I had enough willpower, it would just take care of itself, and I could be able to remove all this mess in my life. But last week, the thing that we discovered was this. That no matter whether you're a Christian or a non-Christian or a church person or a non-church person or whether you believe in the Bible or Jesus or don't believe in the Bible or Jesus, all of us try to remove our stains. And try as we might, when we try to remove our stains, it just gets messier. It gets nastier. Because we are incapable of removing our stains. I mean, God's standard is too high. He's too pure, and nothing that we can be able to do can be able to measure up to God. Now, here's the thing about that. I don't know if that set the way it did with me as it did with you last week, but I don't think that's very fair. I don't think it's fair that God's standard is so high that none of us are going to be able to measure up. That I mean, you, you can't have any stains on your life. Not just a big one, not just a nasty one, but just this little small one right here. That if you just had that little bit, if we just made one little mistake, that we were not going to be right with God, that we wouldn't, and you've heard the phrase, get into heaven. And we, last week we talked about the whole good people get to heaven bit. And we realized that it doesn't work that way because none of us are good. Now again, I don't think that's fair. I don't think that's fair. I don't think God's fair when it comes to that. And maybe you have thought the same way that I have. I don't think that is fair. I mean, let me, let me paint it to you a different way. How many of y'all ever took a, a class, I took a test in a class? Let me see your hands. How many of y'all get scared when you take tests? Let me see your hands. Be honest with you. All right, thank you very much. I still have nightmares that I, and I'm not lying, I still have nightmares that I have uh, t taken a math class in college and I forgot that I signed up for the class until like the very, you know, the day before the exam. 
I still have that. I am 40 years old. I'm still dreaming about math in college. Thank you, algebra teachers. You are plaguing me. All right? Um, by the way, if you teach math, all right, God loves you. I, I may not, but God loves you. I'm just joking. But here's the thing. How many of y'all, if you went into a class and the teacher says, okay, listen, there is going to be one test for the entire grade for the class. And you're like, ooh, man, that's kind of intense. And it's, and it's like, kind of like a pass-fail type of thing. And the teacher said this, you have to get 100% right on everything of the test. And by the way, the test is not passable. How many of y'all would have bad feelings towards your teacher? How many of y'all would firebomb that teacher's house? All right, some of y'all violent people over here, I understand. All right, because there's something inside of us that says, that's not fair. That's not fair. It's not fair that you're giving me a test that I can't pass. It's not fair that you are setting a standard so high that I cannot reach. But that is exactly what God does. And I don't think that's fair. And some of you are like, you're probably thinking the same thing. I don't think that's fair to have one little mistake, not just 16, but one little one, and that's, that's enough to be able to get you out of the running. And that's what I want to talk about today because so many people, when they think of God and they think of heaven and they think of church, they think that God is like us, that, that he values fairness because we value fairness. The thing I want to talk to you about is that God doesn't value fairness. Not like the way you and I value fairness. That what's a big deal for us really isn't a big deal for him at all. The whole fair thing for us, that's a big deal. We want fairness when it comes to us uh, getting evaluated in our job. We want fairness when it comes to us taking a class or a test. We want fairness when the way we deal with our kids. If you have multiple kids, right? I mean, if you have multiple kids, you buy one thing for one, and what do you buy for the others? Same thing, or you at least give them something, right? Because if you don't, it's not fair. But God, he isn't really interested in fairness the way you and I isn't interested in fairness. We're just not. In fact, we looked at this uh, Isaiah 64, uh, 5 and 6, and it talked about that our righteousness on our best day is like filthy, grease-stained rags. That we can't remove our sin. But I want to read you a verse from Isaiah this morning, Isaiah chapter 1, and we're just going to hit this one and go off. We're going to be spending the majority of our time in Matthew 27. So if you want to go ahead and start finding there, you're more than welcome to do that, Matthew 27. But listen to what Isaiah 1, 18 says. The Lord says, now let's settle this matter. i got some good news today. God wants to settle the matter of your stain once and for all. Let's settle this matter. And then he says, you are stained red with sin, but I will what? I will wash you, how? As clean as snow. Although your stains are deep red, you will be as white as wool. Now here's the thing. God wants to settle this matter of, of you, you and I's, our sin problem, our jacked upness, our, I know that was a Bushism right there, but y'all know what I'm saying. Uh, our, our messed upness, 
He wants to, he wants to obliterate all of that stained stuff once and for all. He wants to clean us up. God wants to fix what our determination can't fix, what our willpower can't fix. God wants to fix in us what religion can't fix. In fact, we talked about last week that religion, it just makes things even messier. And we talked about, you know, the, all the inquisitions and all the stuff that's happened all over history. Religion just makes it worse. Today, I mean, God is wanting to fix our stain problem that the Ten Commandments can't fix. God wants to fix our stain problem that the church can't fix. How many of y'all ever been in a messed up church? All right. By the way, how many of y'all are in church today? Messed up. All right. Why? Because all of us in here are messed up. God wants to fix some stuff, our stains, our sin stains, that church, religion, determination, self-help, willpower cannot fix. And let me tell you how he does it. He does it by not being fair. God fixes in us this stuff, and it has nothing to do with fairness. The best way I can explain this principle is by taking you to Matthew 27. So if, you're, if you already have your Bibles open or if you have version, you can go to your smartphones and download version. You can follow along, and of course, it'll be up here as well. But I want to tell you about a guy who was absolutely pure evil, pure darkness. This guy um, that we're going to be looking at today, he's found in all four accounts of the Gospels. And what the gospel is, it's a book written, it's a biography about Jesus. So, and we have four of them, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. All four of these talk about this one person who, at the end of his life, was slated to be killed by capital punishment because he was so messed up. I mean, this guy had messed up his life so much, he deserved to be killed. This guy had stained his life so much and thrown so much messed up stuff on the canvas of his life that there wasn't any white showing through. He was just pure darkness, pure evil. He was so evil, he, he could not be rehabilitated. Let me just stop right there. I mean, what type of person here in the United States gets killed by capital punishment? I mean, think about it. You got people who have embezzled millions of dollars who get five to ten years. And then they get off. You get rapists and murderers and child molesters who will serve their time, and then after they serve their time, they're set free. We, don't, we only reserve capital punishment for the worst of the worst of the worst. The people who cannot be rehabilitated. The people we cannot trust to release out into society. I mean, the people who get killed either through uh, injection or used to be the electric chair. And then I ended up watching a movie last night about the whole Abraham Lincoln conspiracy. Uh, you know, they got hung back then. But the people who get, who get the capital punishment are the, the, the traitors and the serial killers. The people who committed multiple murders. Those are the people that we think and we believe cannot be rehabilitated. And it was that type of person that we're going to read about by the name of Barabbas in all four of the Gospels who was slated to die, who was slated to be killed. Let's look at his story, 
Matthew 27. If you're there, let me go ahead and kind of give you the background. Jesus has come on the scene. Uh, he started teaching. He's got some followers around him. And um, in fact, he's done a lot of miracles and all the religious people who have went through all the right channels and went through all the right schooling. Uh, Jesus is starting to take their followers and they're starting to get angry and they're starting to get jealous and envious of Jesus. So they start thinking, hey, how can we get rid of Jesus? Uh, the religious people start plotting, how can we get rid of this guy because he is making us look bad. And all of the people who used to follow us are now following him. So they start looking for ways to be able to get rid of him. Some, that may be killing, but that may be some other things. Jesus has been around the scene for about three years, and he's taught, and he's raised people from the dead. He's healed the blind. He's made the, the people who can't walk, walk. I mean, it's amazing stuff that we read. But it's the end of his three-year ministry, and uh, Jesus goes into Jerusalem, and he starts huddling his best friends, his disciples, there were 12 of them around him, and he starts telling them, hey, just to let you know, the time is coming really soon that I'm going to be killed. The time is coming really soon that uh, they're going to strike the shepherd and all of you, the sheep, are going to run away. And his disciples don't really like this. And there, there's a lot of uncertainty. Uh, and, and they're going, what's going to happen here? And it's there that we start and we find Matthew 27 because one of the inner circle of Jesus' friends, the 12, his name was Judas, uh, he was greedy, the Bible says, so he started looking for ways to betray Jesus. And he went to the religious people, and he says, hey, I, I think I can give you Jesus. And they start going, oh, and they start putting their plan in place. And what they do in the middle of the night on a Thursday, they go and they arrest Jesus. And Friday morning, they go through six different trials. There's three religious trials. And the religious people, because of their laws, they can't kill Jesus, but they still want him killed. Isn't that how religious people are? All right? I mean, they don't want to break their laws, but they want other people to break them so they can get their stuff done. You know what I mean? So they go through all of these three religious you know, trials, and uh, they can't kill Jesus. So they bring Jesus to a Roman governor who has the power to be able to sign his death wish, death warrant, and to kill Jesus. And they go up to this fellow, and his name is Pilate. He's a Roman governor located in Jerusalem. And they go up and they bring Jesus to Pilate. And they say, hey, by the way, he's broken some of our religious laws. And Pilate's going, I don't care about your religious laws. We don't really care about you as Jews, this Roman governor said. And then they started making up other things. Well, he wants to be king. He wants to be Caesar. He wants to be all this stuff. And then he starts, okay. So he asks Jesus all these questions. And Pilate can't find any evidence to be able to convict Jesus to death. I mean, Pilate's searching. He, and he realizes that Jesus, these are trumped up charges. So he comes up with an idea of letting Jesus off the hook. All right, let's look at this. Matthew 27, 15. Now it was the governor, by the way, who was the governor? His name was Pilate. Everybody say Pilate. Now it was the governor's custom each year during the Passover celebration, this Jewish celebration, to release one prisoner to the crowd. Anyone that they wanted. Now think about this. Presidents today have this exact same thing. Right before they get out of office, what do they do? They issue what? 
pardons, absolutely. People who have been convicted of a crime, they have a presidential pardon, and it kind of covers up all their stuff. So Pilate, not wanting to condemn this innocent man by the name of Jesus, hatches up this plan to release Jesus to the crowd during this Passover celebration, during this Jewish celebration. So he puts it up between Jesus and this other dude by the name of Barabbas. Verse 16, this year there was a, what is that next word? Notorious prisoner, a man by the name of Barabbas. Now let me tell you what that word notorious means in the original language. Uh, it means, uh, the, the Greek is episimos, and it literally means to mark upon. It means to be stained. It means that he was a marked man. It means he was a stained man. It means that he had spent his entire life putting so many stains on his life that there wasn't any white shining through. He was pure evil. He had spent his entire miserable life covering up the canvas of his life with all these different stains and bad choices and bad decisions that he, I mean, was he a murderer? Absolutely. He was a cold-blooded killer. In fact, the, the Bible uses this word elsewhere, and it, we get mistranslated that Jesus was hung up between two thieves. And it, they weren't thieves. They were this word. They were marked men. In fact, if we read Mark uh, chapter 15, verse 7, it gives us a little bit more detail about why Barabbas was in there. Listen to this. A man called Barabbas was in prison with the insurrectionist. Now, I'm going to stop right here. There was Barabbas who was an insurrectionist, and then there were other men besides Barabbas who were insurrectionists. So there's Barabbas, and we know that there's at least two others, because you can't, a, a one insurrectionist would be singular. So there's Barabbas, and we know that there's two other insurrectionists. So a man called Barabbas was in prison with the insurrectionists who had committed murder in the uprising. Now, what's an insurrection? What does that mean? It's somebody who was a radical who started riots, who murdered people. Think terrorist here. I mean, we all can think terrorist here. Think terrorist. Think anarchy. I mean, that is Barabbas. And this verse says he was in prison with at least two other insurrectionists who had committed murder, which says that there was probably three men who was slated to be killed that Friday morning. Barabbas and two of his accomplices. Remember that, because that's going to be very important a little bit later in the story. Keep on reading. Verse 16. This year there was a notorious prisoner, a man by the name of Barabbas. As the crowds gathered before Pilate's house that morning, he asked them, Pilate asked them, which one do you want me to release to you? Barabbas or Jesus, the one who's called the Messiah, that's called the Mashiach. That's a, just a fancy word by saying the one who is called the anointed one or the king. Now, listen to how, this is amazing. It says, Pilate says, he knew very well that the religious leaders had arrested Jesus out of what? Envy. I mean, Pilate knows that Jesus is innocent. Jesus is clean. So he puts these two people up, and he says, you choose. Do you want to choose Jesus, or do you want to choose Barabbas? You choose. I mean, 
Pilate knew that Jesus was innocent, and he's trying to get Jesus off. In fact, I think this Roman governor, who could care less about any of the Jews and their traditions, was the only one who really gave Jesus a fair shake and a fair trial. Now, very interesting, Barabbas wasn't there in front of the crowd. Jesus was. But Barabbas was being held about a half a mile away in what we know is this big jail cell called the Fortress Antonia. It was right beside the temple. So Barabbas is in a jail cell. He is locked up. I want you to remember that. That's huge. Jesus is in front of the crowd, and Pilate says, Do you want Jesus, who is right here, or do you choose Barabbas? By the way, he's not here. He's in a jail cell and let me remind you what he did. He killed, he's killed tons of people. He is a rioter. He's an anarchist. Who do you want? Now listen here. The leading priest and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas to be released and for Jesus to be put to death. So the governor asked again, which of these two do you want me to release to you? Now I need your help here. Okay. Pilate asked the question, which one do you want me to release to you? Now, the crowd is getting ready to shout something. So let's, for a sec, I need you to help be the crowd. Can you do that for me? All right. So when I, when I come to your part, you've got to shout these words out. The crowd shouted back, Barabbas. All right. So Pilate asked, who do you want me to release to you? And the crowd shouted back, Barabbas. Very good. Pilate responded, then what do you, hang on, tell me. Pilate responded, then what should I do with Jesus, who's called the Messiah? And they shouted back, crucify him. Why, Pilate demanded. What crime he committed? But the mob roared even louder. All right, now think about this, guys, just for a sec. How many of y'all have ever went to like a, a sports game? All right. I mean, maybe like a professional game, and you went and you saw, it may have been a college game, and you went and you saw, and it was kind of a close game, and you decided, you know what, traffic's going to be crazy. It's third quarter, right, football game's still going on, and you decide to leave to beat the traffic. I'll never forget, I've only been to two pro football games, both, both of them were the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, oh, all right then take me with you to see the Titans. All right. Anywho. So um, I went to go see the Dallas Cowboys when I was going to seminary back Coons age ago. And uh, I'll never forget the first game I went to go see the Miami Dolphins beat the Cowboys. And I stayed for the entire game. It was amazing. I'd never seen anything like that. Only football game I'd went to up to that point was Austin P. I was in the band and I was forced to be there. Anyway. <clears throat> but so I had never experienced anything. It was amazing. But the Dolphins beat uh, the Cowboys. And then I ended up going to see the Green Bay Packers play the Cowboys. And, uh, and man, it was an amazing game. The Packers were up, you know, third quarter. It, they were up by like two touchdowns. And I took my wife, and, uh, and she's like, hey, let's leave early. And I'm like, okay, let's leave early. So we're leaving, we're going to the parking lot. And, you know, I don't know what's going on. I'm not the, one of the dudes who has the radio in my ears, but you hear the, the, all the people in the stadium go, oh, and I'm like, dude, what's happening? You know, I'm thinking, okay, did somebody score? Was it a turnover? And then you keep on hearing these cheers, and I'm like, what's going on? Anybody ever experienced anything like that? Where, I mean, you left something early, but then you hear the crowd roaring? That's exactly 
what Barabbas is experiencing a half a mile away. Barabbas is all locked up, and he's slated to die that day. And Pilate, he doesn't hear Pilate's voice because Pilate's just one man. He doesn't hear one voice, but he hears the roar of the crowd. So let's do this again. All right, put that last verse back up there. Pilate asked, which of these two do you want me to release to you? And the crowd shouted back, Barabbas. Now, Barabbas in his jail cell, and he just heard his name. He's going, what's happening here? All right. And then Pilate says, then what should I do with Jesus who's called the Messiah? Again, he doesn't hear any of that. But the crowd shouts back, crucify him. So Barabbas just heard his name, and he just heard crucify him. He's going, dude, this is it, right? I'm done for. This is it for me. I mean, he, he is expecting those soldiers to come, and he's going to be led away to die. And the thing is, he deserved to die. But when the soldiers get there, he gets the surprise of his life. Pilate saw that he wasn't getting anywhere, and there was a riot developing. So he sent for a bowl of water and washed his hands before the crowd, saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. The responsibility is yours. And all the people yelled back, we will take responsibility for his death, we and our children. So Pilate released Barabbas to them, and he ordered Jesus flogged with a lead-tipped whip, and then he turned him over to the Roman soldiers to be crucified. Barabbas was supposed to be crucified that morning with his two other accomplices. But something happened. Something that wasn't fair. Something happened and a travesty was done. There was no justice served. It wasn't fair. Pilate realized it wasn't fair. And Barabbas realized it wasn't fair. That when those Roman soldiers came and unlocked the jail cell to Barabbas, they went over in his andiron and they unlocked them. And he was released to go free. And somebody else died on Barabbas' cross. And that wasn't fair. But Barabbas was free. Barabbas had a clean slate up to that point. All, all the things that he had done in the past, done. Jesus took Barabbas' place. And there was an exchange. In fact, I want to read to you a verse here. This is in 2 Corinthians 5.21, our last verse we have. And it says this. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. As we put that verse on the screen, God made him who had no sin, who was pure, who was white, who was stainless, who was spotless. This is Jesus. God made him who had no sin... To be sin on our behalf. 
so that we can become the righteousness of God. So that we can become pure. You see, how God removes our stains is by himself becoming stained for us. How God removes our stains and our sin and our problems is himself becoming stained on our behalf. Our big idea today is this. Jesus takes our stain away and gives us a clean slate. You see, us who used to be stained, who used to be messed up, can now have the righteousness that Jesus had. And Jesus, who used to be pure and holy, is now banged up and is now stained on our behalf because he who knew no sin became sin for us so that we might have God's righteousness. There was an exchange here that just as Jesus took Barabbas' place, God is saying today to you and me, I do want to clean your stain problem. You can't do it yourself, but I can. And the only way for me to be able to clean your stain is for allow me to do something that's not fair. In fact, when it comes to Jesus, I don't even want fairness. And here's the thing, neither do you. Because if it was fair, Jesus should have never been on that cross. But I sure am glad he got on that cross. Because if Jesus, if fairness would have won out, then there would be no way for me to become clean. There would be no way for me to become acceptable to God, to become righteous. The churchy word for this is justification. And it means that God no longer sees our stain, that we are pure. Not because of anything that we have done, no, but because of what Jesus has done for us. And that wasn't fair. Let me tell you what that was. It had nothing to do with fairness. It's another word. It's grace. It's grace. Something that we did not deserve. Something that we could not earn. It was grace. It was God's unmerited love for us. But it was nothing fair about it. Let me tell you as we close today, this can be your present. Yes, we all have a past. Yes, we've all messed up. But what, I, what you've just seen here today, this can be your present. But in order for that to happen, you have to trust in God. This has nothing to do about coming to church. This has nothing to do about following the Ten Commandments. This has nothing to do about trying to be a better person. This has everything to do with what Jesus has done for you and for me and not what we do ourselves. So the question I want to ask to you today is do you want your stains to be removed? Do you want to be pure and clean? 
Do you want to know that you know, I mean, for beyond a shadow of a doubt, that you are acceptable to God? If you do, I would encourage you today to allow this exchange to happen. That you would allow God to come into your heart and to trust in what He has done for you and allow Him to cover you and all of your mess to go on Him who went to the cross for you and paid the penalty for you and for me. He substituted Himself. So right now, I'm going to ask everybody, we're going to bring the house lights down so it's not awkward for anyone. But I'm just going to ask everybody to just close their eyes. And if this is something that you want to do, if you want this exchange to take place in your life, I'm just going to ask you to talk to God right now. I'm going to ask you to just spend some time speaking to God. And that you would trust Him to cover you. You could pray a prayer like this with me. Dear God, I know that I am stained. I know that I have been marred. Lord, I know that those stains and those marks in my life are things that I can never, ever remove. And Lord, I have been thinking, Lord, if I can't remove them, then that just doesn't seem quite fair. But this doesn't have anything to do with fairness. So God, I pray that you would cover me. That you would cover all of my stains, all of my sins, by what you did, Jesus, on the cross. I still have questions, God. I still don't know how all this is going to work out in my life. But I trust you to cover me. I trust you to take my place. I trust you, Lord, that you would substitute yourself for me. And that you would cleanse me as white 